Well, serving in youth ministry for a number of years, one of the questions that students would ask from time to time in some form, or excuse me, was, was some form of, if, if God forgives everything in the end, then well, can't we just do whatever we want? Now, I believe that, that most people intuitively understand that, that we shouldn't just do whatever we want because God forgives us, that we shouldn't just do whatever we want in light of God's grace, but why not? And, and how are we to live? I, I had an incredible math teacher in high school. His name was Frank Gullah, and Mr. Gullah was, was absolutely brilliant. He had graduated high school at 15 or 16 years old and had gone on to study at MIT, at the Massachusetts Institute for Technology. And, and I imagine that he could have pursued any number of careers, but this brilliant man felt called to teach. And so he spent his days serving and teaching high school students, most of us not, not having a fraction of the mathematical aptitude that he possessed, and, and yet there he was every day. See, I believe he had this deep desire to communicate complex mathematical concepts in a way that, that we would understand them, and in a way that, that we would internalize them. I have this distinct memory of him teaching us one day, and, and he was in the middle of an explanation of some particularly complex mathematical principle. And at the end of his explanation, one student raised their hand and asked, is this going to be on the exam? <laughs> Perhaps you've asked questions like that. Well, Mr. Gullah simply smiled and he said no, and and he moved on. But I believe that that question stung. You know, Mr. Gullah wanted so much more for us than to, than to pass the exam. He wanted us to understand the material deep in our bones so that we could use it, so that we could apply it, and, and ultimately thrive in this field that he so loved. Questions like, if God forgives everything in the end, then why can't we just do whatever we want? Feel a little to me like, is this going to be on the exam? They miss the point, don't they? They, they totally misunderstand what God wants for us. God has created this world out of an act of divine love and invites us to participate in it. God wants us to know and, and feel a love for others in the world the way that God experiences it. God wants us to thrive here in this world that God so loves. So how are we to live in light of God's forgiveness, in light of God's free gift of grace? Our scripture speaks into that today. Last week, we explored Isaiah's exhortation of, of true worship and praise, that we are to worship and praise God. And we'll continue in the Old Testament this week, looking at the words of another prophet, of the prophet Micah, who was a contemporary of Isaiah. 
as we wrestle with this question. I invite you to open in the Bibles that you've brought with you from home or your pew Bibles to Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn son for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our scripture for this morning, the prophet Micah does a couple of things. First, Micah establishes that that God wants something, that, that God desires something from the people of Israel. And then the prophet seeks to answer what that is. So, so let's dive in. As, as I mentioned, this text was written about the same time period as their text from last week in Isaiah, and that's the late 8th century BCE. And at this time, the northern kingdom of Israel had been conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and the kingdom of Judah in the south had become a vassal state of the Assyrian Empire. And They they were left to self-rule, but they were forced to pay a tribute to the Assyrians. The prophet speaks into this time of uncertainty for God's people, and the passage opens establishing that that there's something broken about the relationship between God and the people of Israel. The Lord rhetorically asks, what have I done to you? As if to say, what have I done to you that, that you're living the way that you are? And then in verses 4 and 5, the Lord chronologically outlines these these acts of loving deliverance and faithfulness. Did you hear it? God, God says, I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. And then God references this story of Balaam and the Moabite king, Balak. You'll find it in Numbers 22 through 24. This afternoon, I invite you to sit down and and quickly read through it. It's it's worth it. It involves a talking donkey. It's interesting stuff. But, But what happens in this story is that the Moabite king, feeling threatened by the people of Israel, goes to the prophet Balaam and asks him to curse the people of Israel. And Balaam says, I have to do what God tells me to do. 
and he blesses the people rather than curse them. And then there's this reference about the journey from Shittim to Gilgal. Now, Shittim was the last encampment of the people of Israel before they crossed over the river Jordan into the promised land after wandering in the desert. And Gilgal was their first encampment after crossing over. And so here, God says, I have freed you from slavery, I have blessed you and and given you a promised home. So why are you living the way that you are? The implication is that the way people live matters. It matters to God. And then the text breaks away from the Lord as speaker. And it's a person who asks the next question. With what shall I come before the Lord? Former Old Testament professor James Limburg points out that that to ask this question, with what shall I come before the Lord, assumes that God wants something. With what shall I come before the Lord, it it assumes that, that God desires something. I'd like us to just sit with that for a, for a moment. How profound is that? God wants. How significant is that, that the creator of the universe might desire something from us, from you, from me. Now, to be clear, this is, this is not requisite. This is not transactional. It is, it's not that God wants payment, one thing, for another. God has not withheld deliverance or blessing or promise. These have already, these have already been given. Right, in a healthy marriage, one does not withhold love from a spouse until they receive something, and yet they do still desire a certain way of life from their spouse. Commitment. Free expressions of love, freely given. And so no, a desire on God's behalf does not nullify the free giving of God's self, but it does communicate a certain vulnerability on the part of the Creator. And what is it? What is it that God desires? Again, the prophet employs a rhetorical device, this this question and answer. With what shall I come before the Lord? Shall I come before Him with, with burnt offerings, with calves, Will the Lord be pleased with, with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The writer lists all of these different offerings that one might bring, and they move from the practical to the extravagantly hyperbolic and then to the sinisterly evil. Burnt offerings, calves, perhaps thousands of rams, ten thousands of rivers of oil or Or how about my firstborn, my child? Is that what God wants? My own flesh and blood? And then the answer. 
What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? God, it turns out, desires no thing at all. God wants nothing more from them than the way they live. And the same is true for you and me. God God doesn't want our stuff, but rather our very lives, or, or perhaps better, our ways of living. You see, this is what we discover as we seek to understand what it looks like to worship God. We worship God with the way that we live. What does your worship look like? As you consider that, does it occur to you that payment might be easier? But you see, payment is transactional and God seeks relationship. God seeks intimacy. There's a vulnerability in God wanting and God desiring because we are free to respond or not. God freely gives and desires that each of us might do the same. Each of us. You see, God desires you specifically. Barbara, Fred, Linda, you, and you, and you. The prophet seeks to answer the question, how are the people of Israel to live in light of what God has done for them? And and in the same way, the text provides an answer for us as, as to how we are to live in light of God's forgiveness, in light of God's grace, in light of all that God has done for us. How are we to live in light of God's grace? We are to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with God. A few words about each of these. Do justice. It's not simply that that God wants justice. It's it's something that we must participate in. Do justice is a a dynamic command. Our clerk of session, Debbie Davis, introduced me to a phrase that I've come to just love, dynamic execution. It's a reference to how to get things done as a team. It communicates that it's, it's an ongoing process. As you seek to carry out a plan, you must know the next action step and the person responsible for it. It's a happening. It is a doing. In the same way, do justice is dynamic. It is a doing. God doesn't simply desire justice. He desires that we do justice. That the powerful lift up the powerless. That we seek the welfare and well-being of others. This do justice is is oriented to all of those around us in our communities and in our world. This past Friday night, 
Videos of the brutal murder of Tyree Nichols at the hands of police officers were made public. And it's abhorrent on a multiplicity of levels. And one is that the police officers are given the power to protect the powerless. And what happened to Tyree at the hands of those given power was the very utterly evil opposite of that. Friends, how do we seek to address this in our communities? How will we participate in the protection of the powerless? We are to love kindness. This is a rich Hebrew phrase that that loses something in its translation. For just about every biblical translation that you find, that you pick up, you'll find another rendering of the phrase. And my guess is that in your, your Bible's at home, or maybe the one you've brought with you, maybe says something like, love mercy, or love faithfulness. It's the Hebrew phrase, vahavat hesed, and it, and it seeks to communicate a characteristic of loving that is loyal, that is lasting. It's this covenant of loving. God wants loyal and lasting love, like the love of a marriage. covenantal love. And then we are to walk humbly with our God. These first two have have everything to do with how we orient ourselves to the world around us, and this third one refers to how we orient ourselves to God. Notice that it, it doesn't say, believe in God. It's not at all about assent in the same way that Jesus says to the disciples, follow me. God says, walk with me. And so what might a life look like lived like this? These past two weeks, we've spent a little bit of time talking about the Assyrian Empire as, as the Assyrian Empire serves as the backdrop for both Isaiah and Micah's writings. And the Assyrian Empire in its time was perhaps the most powerful empire that had ever existed on the planet to that point in history. Their army was technologically advanced and They were the first to use iron instead of bronze, which is a much stronger material. They were the first army to employ units of of engineers to fill moats and to dig tunnels. They built enormous cities with lavish gardens the size of football fields. They built aqueducts to provide water to their citizens centuries before the Romans did. And their cities were enclosed by massive walls, architectural feats. And yet, just a few hundred years after the fall of the Assyrian Empire, they'd been nearly forgotten. In a podcast uh, entitled Hardcore History, this episode, King of Kings, Dan Carlin tells the story of 
the Greek general Xenophon, who, while fleeing from the Persian army, which was an empire that came after the Assyrian Empire, he is fleeing with thousands of his soldiers, and they stumble upon these Assyrian ruins. He says, Xenophon will come upon these great massive cities simply rotting in the dust, deserted. But the walls are so high and the workmanship on the streets so modern that, that he doesn't understand where it came from. The locals, the, the few people living there, they don't know anything about Assyria. They think it was built by the Medes, which were a, another people of the time. In other words, within just 200 years of the fall of the Assyrian Empire, these cities are lying in ruins and are still larger than almost anything new being built at that time, and nobody, nobody even remembers that they were Assyrian. Great empire. The life's works of generations of humanity forgotten, turning to dust. Just a few hundred years later, a baby would be born to a poor couple in a remote outpost of the Roman Empire, and this child would, would grow up and, and live accumulating no material wealth but doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. He would have a three-year ministry that 2,000 years later is far from forgotten and crumbling to dust. And so we are here. The legacy of a life lived as God would have it. Friends, this, this is the life that God invites us to participate in. God invites us out of a life that would be forgotten and that would crumble to dust and into a life that would last forever, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.